Well, as we come to God's word, let's, uh, let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your word, and, and thank you that we can open it together now. We can study it. We can ask for your illumination, your understanding of it to um, fill our minds and change our hearts and direct and motivate our steps. And uh, Lord, thank you that uh, your spirit works through your word on the hearts of your people. And uh, we pray that we would see that work and experience that work now as we look to Colossians. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, tomorrow you are going to turn your calendar over and it will no longer be 2023. Where did the time go? Or maybe you're glad it's gone. I, I don't know. I, we're there. We're 2024. We're here. And, you know, whenever we roll over a calendar year, there's, you know, resolutions and all that. And one of the things that, that I've been inundated with, and maybe you have this last week, is all of the predictions. I mean, think about it. We, we have predictions about the economy. We have predictions about inflation. We have predictions about interest rates. We have predictions about the stock market. We have predictions about the wars in Ukraine and Israel. We have predictions about presidential elections. Yes, it's one of those years. Which means we will have all sorts of people giving all sorts of opinions about what's going to happen this next year. So I, I not to be... Uh, Lost in the sea of voices, I want to give my own prediction in 2024, and, and it relates to where we're going here in Colossians. I predict that you and I will be distracted from our walk with God and our focus on Christ this next year. We will be distracted. We will be tempted to look to other things to listen to other voices, to put our time and attention in other places, and it will distract us from what Jesus said is the one thing needful. So I, I want to help us as we roll the calendar over into the new year with, with a bit of a spiritual tune-up, if we can call it that. I, I want to go into the year having a strategy, having focused on this, and, and, and if I can j- just be very, very honest and, and maybe a bit selfish in admitting this to you, um, I want to share with you what's been one of my favorite verses this past year, these past few months. I have spent more time in this passage that we're going to look at, just not in my Bible reading plan. I just keep coming back to it. And the phrase that has just captivated my thoughts and my meditation, I've wrestled with this, I've asked the question, I've studied, is what does it mean... If we look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 there, what does it mean to set our minds on things above? What does it mean to have an undistracted devotion? What does it mean to have our attention riveted on things that will last eternally? What can we do to ensure that going into this next year, our focus remains where it ought to remain? Not, not that we can you know, quit our jobs and quit our families and, and, and just you know, meditate all day. That's not God's plan. But what is his plan is that we would set our minds on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. And that we would enter this new year, hopefully every year, as long as the Lord would give us life, with our focus having a, 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 a set, a, a focus, an attention 
a, a rivetedness on the things above. And uh, I want to talk about how can we do that. Uh, well, if you haven't already done there, turn with me in your Bible to Colossians uh, chapter 3. And you say, why Colossians? How can Colossians help us with this? This idea of setting our mind on things above, to, to be undistracted, to, to be unmoved, to, to be undeceived, uh, uh, would be another good word, I guess, in our affections as we look to the new year. Um, well, you know something about the, the letter here before us, and it's why I wanted to pick Colossians uh, to, to handle all this, because Paul is dealing with an audience here. Let me uh, bring this up here. To There we go. Um, Paul is dealing with a church in the first century, the church at Colossae, that is being distracted from the main thing. And uh, let me just, can I show you his strategy? How did Paul address this issue of being distracted from Christ, being swayed, being moved, being our focus put on other things. Did you hear what Carl read a moment ago? Paul, Paul doesn't, you know, I mean, he kind of introduces himself and then he, he puts it in fifth gear, the turbos kick in and he launches into the person and work of Christ. I mean, just look back at the text. In chapter 1, verse 13, chapter 1, verse 13, he says, He, God, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and visible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. And He goes on to paint the most beautiful picture of the person and work of Jesus than anywhere else in the Bible. He he launches, he unfolds, he opens up the floodgate of who Jesus is and what he's done. You say, why is he doing that? Because he's trying to help his audience to see that that Jesus is uh, the Son of God. He is Lord of Lords. He is Creator. He is Redeemer. Why would you want to put your focus on anything else? So he, he, uh, he unfolds for us the beauties of Christ. And not just like Jesus is this, Jesus is that. Isn't that great? Watch him personalize it in chapter 1, verse 21. That this great work of Christ to reconcile all things to himself. Verse 21. And he says, although you, he personalizes it there. You were formerly alienated. You were formerly hostile in mind. You were engaged in evil deeds. Yet he has now reconciled you. In his fleshly body through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach. So he says, is not, not just Christ is amazing in his character. He's not just powerful in his work. But as you trusted him, he redeemed you. He reconciled you. He sanctified you. And you are connected to him. You are a part of his family. And all the resources that are in him are accessible to you and me. You see where he's going here. Christ is amazing. His work is overwhelming. And you and I have had the privilege of participating in that work. So in light of that, look at chapter 2. Flip the page. Chapter 2, verse 6. What does he want us to do? Chapter 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord. Ready for this? Walk in him. 
If that's who Jesus is, and that's what he's done, and you are connected to him, now go live like it. Now go walk with him in every dimension, in every corner, in every way of life. Being firmly rooted, he says there, and now being built up in him and established with your faith. So, so that's his plan, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm getting to three. Jesus, his work, his person, you've been reconciled in him. Now go live for him, right? So that, and then he says, and then he says, so why would you live for anything else? Why would you wrap your life around your career? Why would you wrap your life around your family? Why would you wrap your life around stuff? Why would you wrap your life around health? Why would you wrap your life around anything else if that's who he is and that's what he's done and that's what he's done in you? That's his argument. You say, why why is he so wound up about this? Because, look back at the text, chapter 2, verse 4. I say this, chapter 2, verse 4. So that no one will delude you with a persuasive argument. What's going on? There are others that have come into the Colossian church that are saying, Christ is awesome. He's great. We agree with you. But this is what life is about. Christ is amazing. You can have him, but you need this other thing too. It's called the Colossian heresy and we won't get into it, but it's essentially saying Jesus is awesome. Yes, you need him, but there's this other thing that you need to be fulfilled and motivated and have success and happiness in life. And Paul says, if that's who Jesus is and that's what he's done and that's what he's called you to do, why would you go anywhere else? Uh, look with this, verse, chapter 2, verse 8. He says, see to, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy or empty deception according to the tradition of men rather than according to Christ. And then down again, verse 16, chapter 2, verse 16. Let no one act as your judge in regard to food or drink in respect to a festival or new moon or Sabbath day. Chapter 2, verse 20. If you've died with Christ... To the elementary principles of the world, why are you still living in the world and submitting yourself to decrees? And then he gives some, some wisdom there. Do you see the point? If, if this is who Christ is and this is what he's done and you're connected to him and he's called you to live for him, why would you want to listen to anything else that would say, yeah, Christ is great, but you need this other thing too? And, and that, that's the, that's the on-ramp to where we get to in chapter 3, verse 1. Okay, are you with me? So now what he's going to do is he's going to help us to see how can we keep that focus on Christ? How can we be um, moving ahead, setting our minds on things above, staying focused on Christ and not being distracted by these traditions and philosophies? And you say, well, we don't have the Colossian heresy. No, we don't have the Colossian heresy. But you have things in your life that will operate the same way. You have things in your life that will distract you from Christ. You have things that will move you away from the things of God. You have other voices. Have you noticed this? You, you don't even have to try. When you wake up in the morning, there are people, there are sources that are speaking into your life things that they think you need your attention on. How are you going to get through that? Well, let's look. Paul's going to give us kind of kind of three points here, and, and we're going to blow through 17 verses. I, I want to kind of stay on the surface here and not go too deep, but I think this will be helpful because as we go into the new year, we need to have a strategy to be undistracted, to be guarded, to be focused on the things of God in the new year. 
So here, here's sort of point number one in Paul's strategy. Actively keep finding and focusing on the things above. Actively keep finding and focusing on the things above. Look at the, that first part of the verse there. He says, therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Notice with me, the very first word here is what? What's the first word? Therefore. So what does that mean? We gotta look back. That's, that's why I did that little, that little running start there, right? We gotta look back at chapter one and chapter two. Therefore, in light of who Christ is, in light of what he's done, in light of the fact that he's reconciled you to himself, in the light of that he's called you to live for him, in light of that, if you've been raised up with Christ, he says, then keep seeking the things above. This is interesting because that therefore points back to everything that he's said, and he just put, sort of summarizes that here in verse three when he says, um, if you've been raised up with Christ, and then verse 3, you have died and your life was hidden with Christ in God. Now, this is, this is not a, an exercise of, of uh, unimportant geography here, but, but, but let me just ask you some really important questions. Who are you and where is your life? Who are you and where is your life? Well, according to this passage, you have died and you've been raised up with Christ, haven't you? Your identity is in Christ. Think about that. And all of you have different stories. We all have different stories. Think of where you were when Christ rescued you from that old life you used to live. Do you remember what that was like? Who were you living for? What was important to you? What were you engaging in? What was your, your value system like? What was your behavior like? And, and, and what Paul is reminding us here is when, when you and I came to Christ, that old self, that old identity, those old practices died with Christ. That's not who you are. That's not who I am. We have been united to Christ. And as it says here, you've been raised up with Christ to newness of life. You say, okay, so where is my life? According to this passage, where is your life now? Where is it? You can talk. It's okay. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Do you see that? So, and, and I'm not trying to confuse you or, or sound weird, but your identity is in Christ. Your life is in Him, and He's seated at the right hand of God, which means your life is there with Him. Does that make sense? So, so, so stay with me. Paul's logic is you're not going to live here if you think your life is here. You're not going to live here if you think this is what my life is about. You're going to live faithfully as one who has been united to Christ and reconciled to him and joined to him. You're going to live faithfully here by remembering that your life and identity is there. Are you with me? Is that making sense? That's what he says here. And before he gets to the what we do stuff, he says, remember, you have been raised with Christ. And then he says there, you've died and your life is hidden with Christ. And this is amazing. Look at verse four. He says, when Christ, and this, it's like, it's like a throwaway line, but it's profound. When Christ, who is our life, he is our life. 
when he is our life is revealed, what's going to happen? We'll be revealed with him. See, you and I won't see the full depth of the life we have in Christ till he comes back. But until then, we have to we have to do this mental, like, spiritual game that says, I'm here, I'm living here, but my life is there. I'm living here and I have responsibilities here, but my identity is there. And you've got to remember that because we have families, we have jobs, we have mortgages, we have bills to pay, we have responsibilities, and God wants us to do those things. But we have to do those things remembering that's not life, that's life. And if we will remember that, that we belong to him, our life is with him, our old self has died, we've been raised to walk in newness of life, we're united to him, our life is in him, he's coming back, and then our life will really be revealed, that'll help us to know how to live here. Is that hard to do? I mean, can we just be honest? That's really hard to do. We, we, we all suffer from a chronic spiritual condition called Christian amnesia. Don't we? You just get up in the morning and you're like, oh, look at my phone. Oh, look at this bill. Oh, look, I got homeschool. Oh, look at that. And, and, and we just go on with life and we forget this isn't life. That's life. As we look to him, that makes us faithful here. Are you with me? Making sense? Okay. So that, that's just introduction. Paul's just, Paul's just, he's not even told us what to do yet. He's just getting going here. So he says, if that's it, if that's your life, your identity, your purpose are all wrapped up in him. So I, I put this here. Remember who you are and where your life is. Okay. Remember who you are and where your life is. So in light of that, this is interesting. How are you going to do that? How are you going to remember who you are and where your life is? Notice what Paul does here, and we need to follow his example. He says, you've got to look backward. Remember, you died and you raised with Christ. You've got to look backward to your conversion, and then you've got to look forward. He's coming again, and then my life will be revealed. Okay, so, so the way you stay in the lane here today is you look backward to your conversion regularly, and you look forward to the return of Christ, and that helps you be faithful today. Does that make sense? A look at the past, a look at the future makes you sane in the present is what he's saying here. Okay, so we got to do that. So remember who you are and where your life is, and so we have to look backward and forward, and um, that directs us where our focus should be. Okay, now, watch this. Set your mind, where is it? Uh, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. And, and I, I have spent weeks, probably months, just thinking about that. What are, what are the things above? If he says, set your mind on it, focus on it, find and focus, right? What are those things above? Now, now, now the, the Sunday school answer that we are prone to give without paying attention to the context is Jesus, right? That's always the right answer. Jesus, right? Right, kids? Is Jesus the right answer? Yeah. Maisie says yes. Okay, so focus on Jesus, right? But he actually doesn't say that. Not, not that it's wrong to focus on Jesus. We should do that. Set your mind on what? Things above. If you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is. So it's not focusing on Christ. It's talking about the things surrounding Christ as he sits at the right hand of God. Are you confused? Let me unconfuse you, okay? What is that? And, and actually, this is one of those things where 
if you have a question in your Bible reading and you don't know what it is and yet your concordance and your Bible software and all that, what is this? Just keep reading your Bible. Just keep reading the next verse. And actually what Paul's going to do, he's going to answer the question, what are the things above in the subsequent verses? Okay, so we don't have to guess. The things above are what he talks about in the rest of the chapter. Those things above, listen, are the values, priorities, and character consistent with Christ and his kingdom. That's what they are. The things above are the values, the priorities, and the character consistent with Christ and his kingdom. And you'll see that as we unfold these verses there, okay? So that's the things above. So so you say, okay, we're going to set our minds on that. What do we do? That means... I gotta remember my past, remember Christ is coming, okay, that's my identity, that's my life, and then I say this, okay, what things does God want me to live for today? What are Christ's values? What are His priorities? What is His character? What is His perspective? Right? That's, that, that's what we're supposed to do. And He says, okay, so what are those things above? They are the values, priorities, character, consistent with Christ and his kingdom. And then he says this, keep seeking them and keep setting your mind on them. These are the two sort of commands here that come out. Let me explain, let me explain these words here for you. The, the, the phrase there, keep seeking, means devout or devote serious effort to find something. I'm curious, do any of you make your kids like find their presence on Christmas morning? Like a little Christmas morning scavenger hunt? You ever do that? Okay, you're nice to your kids. You just throw them out under the tree. And... Now, um, years ago, when, when my brothers and I were growing up, we were kids, uh, not on Christmas, but on Easter. Uh, Grandma would always have a little special prize or a little present or something like that, and, you know, and, and there were eggs and stuff like that. But what she would do, she'd take this piece of yarn, and she, she'd hide the gift somewhere in her house. And then she'd take this piece of yarn and it would go from the gift wherever it was and it would go through every room of the house, outside, through the planter, into the neighbor's yard, back around, and, and then there was a starting point, right? And, and, um, and, and then the fun of it was, you know, you, you kind of, and I'm like four or five, six years old. This isn't like a teenage game, right? Nowadays we'd like geocache it or something like that and just find it on our phone. But anyway, that, that, we didn't have that in the dark ages when I was growing up. But okay, and, and the fun of it is following that and finding the prize that's at the end of the yarn. And that's what this word means. You're, you're eagerly seeking it. You're, you're putting time and effort and attention to figure it out. So here's the question. How zealous, how eager How diligent are you being to discover the things of God that are consistent with the character of Christ? How are you doing? What Paul's saying is you need to keep seeking those things. Notice the ongoing nature here. It's keep seeking, right? It's not like you find it, oh, I found the things of God, and then you go on with life. It's you keep seeking and you keep seeking. You notice how life works? It's rigged, man. It's totally rigged. You know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, okay, I'm sort of figuring out marriage here, parenting, ah, you know, and I got to keep seeking the things of God and figure that out. And then, you know, your kids grow up. It's like adult parenting. Oh, that's a whole nother chapter, right? And then, and then tragedy and then suffering and then illness and then getting old and then financial. And at every turn of life, God is saying, keep seeking the things that God values that are going to help you to flourish in that season of life. Do you see that? You have to seek it. You have to look for it. You have to find it. Notice the second word there uh, is set your minds. 
Set your minds. That just means to give careful consideration, to focus, to meditate, to keep it in front of you. Here's the idea. Once you know the character of Christ and the values of Christ and the priorities of Christ, you say, okay, I've got to keep that in front of me. Let me ask you this. Have you ever known the right Christian thing to do and not done it? Come on, I'll put your hands up. Come on, raise them up. Be sure. Okay. Um, Isn't that true? Just because we know something doesn't automatically mean we're going to do the right thing in light of what we know. And that's what he's saying here. He says, you seek it. You have to actively find it. And once you find it, you've got to keep it in your mind so that when you're doing that parenting conversation, when you're dealing with that financial crisis, when you're discovering that medical situation, whatever it is, that that truth, that principle is right there to guide you and direct you. Does that make sense? So keep seeking and then set your mind on it. Keep it in view. Don't let the word of God drift to the periphery of life. You've got to keep it in front of you. Now, so set your mind on things above, right? Keep, keep seeking the things above. Now, notice the contrast. Look back at the text. Not on the things that are on the earth. So while you're trying to do this with the things of God, you're trying to not do them with the things on earth. Now, now just a footnote on that. Careful. That doesn't mean ignore your family, be unfaithful with your job, don't pay your bills. It's not saying don't participate in the wholesome uh, responsibilities that God gives you here. What he's saying is, Don't adopt the world's values, priorities, characteristics. As you do family, as you pay your bills, as you do your job, as you interact with friends, don't adopt the world's way of thinking, the world's way of behaving, the world's value system. Don't do that. That, That's the enemy of what we're trying to do here. Set your mind on things above, the things of God, right? The priorities, the values, the character of Christ, and not the values, the norms, the perspectives, the practices of a godly, wicked, and fallen world. And here's the problem. Every day, the world will do that for you. Your phones do that. Your social media does that. Your friends do that. Your news does that. You're the perspective at the office does that. You get it in school systems. You get it when you go to Walmart. You, you get it on your blogs. You get it online. You get it in your neighborhood. Every single day, you will get pressing in on you earthly ways of doing things. And what Paul is saying is you counter that not by saying, oh, those things are bad. You counter it by focusing on the things above. And and can I say this? And I love you. I love you when I say this, okay? You can't spend your life filling yourself with worldliness and expect to honor God in life. You can't do that. You can't fill your mind with worldly and be godly. That's what he's saying here. It's hard enough when you're pushing back and resisting, let alone we're saying, oh, this is entertainment, right? This is great. It's great. And we're filling our minds with worldly filth. We should not expect to set our minds on things above if that's what we're doing. And if you're not active to fill and focus your mind, listen to this. If you are not active to fill and focus your mind on the things of God, it will be filled up for you by the world. Politics, news, sports, the latest diet and health, crave, shopping, relationships, medical issues, family challenges, finances, wealth, all those things will press in the world's value systems, and it is on automatic pilot. If you want to be ungodly and worldly, you know what you have to do? Nothing. Just exist, and the God of this world will put it into your mind. 
So we need to remember who you are, remember where your life is, and then seek and set, find and focus. Can I just ask you really personally, what are you filling your mind with? What's distracting you from the things above? We all have them. I've got them. You've got them. Our kids have them. We all have them. But the question is, what's your list? Because the lists are different. What's distracting you? What's filling your mind? What do you need to dial back and say, you know what? I can't do that anymore. What's pulling you back to earth when your heart is striving for the things in heaven? Figure that out and then follow Paul's counsel. Actively keep finding and focusing on the things above. Number two, constantly identify and kill all your earthly enemies within. Constantly identify and kill all your earthly enemies within. Look at this next section here, starting in verse 5. There is a very serious war going on right now. And it's not in Ukraine. It's not in Israel. That most serious war is in your heart and in mine. It is a civil war. There are forces battling in our hearts. It is a rogue guerrilla war. It, it, it is no rules. It is random. It is wicked. It is insidious. I was reading in one of my, my favorite Puritan pastors this last week, and he said something. He said, you know, Satan's had the whole history of humanity to know how you and I work. He knows you better than you do. He knows what motivates you better than you do. He knows what tempts you more than you do and me. And you better believe the God of this world is capitalizing on our own weaknesses to tempt us and to try us. And there is a war going on inside of us. And again, you know what most of us do? We wake up in the morning and we think we're on a Christian pleasure cruise instead of in war. And that's why we need this verse. Uh, look at this first one. We'll call it search and destroy. Search and destroy, right? Uh, my Bible says, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Is that what your Bible says? In the NASB, I'm not sure why the NASB rendered it like that. The ESV gets it more right. Put to death what is earthly in you. This, this is, this is a good Christian murder. You must destroy, you must kill, you must murder anything in you that is out of alignment with the things of God. Those, those things above that we talked about. They're there. They battle with you every day like they battle with me every day. Paul, Paul gives us a list here, right? What are those earthly things? And again, he's not talking about, you know, having a family or a job is bad. What he's saying is earthly things mean the things in me, my motives, my thoughts, my desires, my values, my ways of thinking, my actions that are out of alignment with the things of God. They're, they're the way the world does it. And he gives a description here. Look at this. Immorality. That's sexual sin. Impurity. That's vileness, morally corrupt, morally corrupt activity. Passion. 
That's ungodly sexual desires. Interestingly, the first three words he uses there all describe sexual sin and sexual temptation, which if you know Paul, that's always at the top of his list. Remember what he says to the the Ephesians? There should be not even a hint of sexual immorality amongst the people of God. What else do we put to death? What else do we kill? Evil desire, greed, which he says amounts to idolatry. He says them, he says there, put them all aside. Anger, wrath, that's rage. So anger and wrath. Anger is kind of the slow boil anger. Wrath is the rage anger, right? Malice, that word means wickedness or mean spiritedness. Isn't that, isn't that a good provision for us today? It's an election year. And yes, this list describes how we ought to think about our elected officials, how we ought to converse about who we think is the more worthy candidate, how we interact with people that have different views. We need to exemplify Christ's likeness even in that arena, don't we? Especially in that arena. Slander, that speech that denigrates, abusive speech, that's obscene or dirty talk, lying. Interestingly, he says very specifically here as its own command, do not lie. He said, like, like, focus on that, right? Do not lie. Evil practices, right? Um, do you guys know about spiritual zombies? I know, I know. I, I'm, I'm not a zombie expert. I'm a pastor. That's not my field. Uh, but I've done a little bit of research. And a zombie is apparently a creature that when you kill him, he doesn't die. Am I right? A zombie? Um, so, so here, um, I was thinking about this because, because here's what happens. You fight your sinful anger. You fight your sinful fear. You fight your sinful anxiety. You fight your unforgiving spirit. You fight your bitterness. And by God's grace, you know, you go to bed going, praise the Lord. He helped me. And then you wake up in the morning and that zombie is alive again. And you got to put it to death again. And then you wake up in the morning, you got to put it to death again. It's like, how many times do I have to kill my sin? Till Jesus comes back. Your sin is like a spiritual zombie. You'll kill it and it comes back to life. You kill it again and it comes back to life. You, you have a successful day. Comes, and, and you know, you know the, the spiritual zombie strategy? The zombie goes dormant for a day, for a week, for a month. You're like, you know what? I, I beat lust, right? I finally beat lust. I beat this sexual immorality. I'm not lusting. I'm not doing this. And, and three months, two months, six months. And then you wake up and it's there. That's a strategy. It's a strategy to trip you up. So, so, so here's a question. Um, do you know your spiritual zombies, if I can say it like that? Do you know those things that you fight and kill and the next morning they're alive again? That's what Paul is saying here. You put them to death. You put them to death. You put them to death. You keep putting them to death. You beat them down. You beat them down. You step. That reminds me. I remember when we first moved to North Texas and, and the whole like... Um, uh, what, what are the snakes we have out here? The copperheads, yeah. We'd never seen a copperhead before. We'd seen rattlesnakes, the copperheads. Everybody's like, oh, there's copperheads. You know, you got a field behind our house. Look out for the copperheads. Look out for the copperheads. And I don't do snakes. You know, I mean, I try to walk in the fear of the Lord. I don't do snakes, okay? And um, never met a snake that I've liked. And um, 
Are they God's creation too? Uh, okay, they were God's creation. Okay, I got to work on that. Anyway, so I remember we, we, we saw our first copperhead. I remember it was, it was one of the kids or whatever. And it, was, it wasn't like, it was like like little baby copperhead. I took that shovel like, bam, bam, bam. And I'm just like, and it's like, where'd the snake go? You know, it's just like annihilated. And that's what you, that's what you do. You're, you're just pounding your sin. You're just beating it until you can't recognize it. And until Jesus comes back, you're going to have to kill it again. Put it to death. Do you know your spiritual zombies? You don't fight them once. You fight them for the rest of your life. And as you're setting your mind on things above, you commit to saying, I got to kill this. I got to put it to death. I, I, it's got to die. Now, now notice, Paul gives some reminders here at the end. And these are we can't read over these, okay? These are very important, so don't read over these things. Look back at the text. He says... You know, put to death, passion, evil desire, greed. Verse 6, look at this. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come on the sons of disobedience. And in them you too once walked. He's saying, Paul's saying, remember these things that you're tempted to live in and love and find pleasure in your sin are the things that bring the wrath of God on humanity. And they're the things that you once enjoyed and you once lived in. Don't go back. Don't enjoy something that put Jesus on the cross. Fight it. Kill it. Put it to death. Now look at verse 8. He says, but now you also put them all aside, right? Do not lie to one another. Why? Since you've laid aside the old self with its evil practices, you've put on the new self. That's that identity in Christ. You've been raised with Christ, like he says in verse 1. And look at what he says here in verse 10. You have put on the new self... And what are you becoming? What am I becoming? Notice the language here. Who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. But let me help you with with Paul's run-on sentence there, okay? He's saying God has started a work to turn you into me and me into a picture of his son. That's what he's doing. So as you're putting these things to death, you're saying, yes, Lord, make me like your son. Thank you that you started that work, that you'll complete that work in that. And then notice this at the very end there. He says, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free man. Christ is all and in all. You know what that means? It doesn't matter what your story is. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter... Uh, what you've committed. It doesn't matter your family background. It doesn't matter uh, your thoughts, words, actions. It doesn't matter any of those things that Christ is fully available to you if you'll turn to him in repentance and faith. Christ is an equal opportunity savior and he will not disqualify you from his kingdom because of something in your past. That's what he says here. Christ is in all, right? If you trust in him, he's fully in you. And what? He is all. What's that doing? He's pointing white back saying, where's your life? Where's your identity? It's there. It's in him. Remember that. Trust him. Remember these things. Can I ask you a question? Look at that list. What's one area that you need to redeclare war on 
in 2024? Where's the spiritual zombie? Fight it with God's grace and help. Next, continually put on and practice the qualities of godliness. Continually put on and practice the qualities of godliness, right? So he said, here's what you have to kill. Here's what you have to fight. Here's what you have to put to death and replace it now with the qualities of godliness. And he starts off, notice how he starts off here in verse 12. He says, remember, right? Remember, what's your identity? Where's your life? It's in him, right? Put these things to death. Why? Remember, because of those things, the wrath of God comes. He's going to give us another remember here. Remember, you have been chosen. Chapter 3, verse 12. So as those who have been chosen by God, holy and beloved. In light of the fact that God's chosen you, in light of the fact God has, has brought you to himself for holiness, that you are loved by God, how should you live? Look what he says. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness. He gives us another list, right? Compassion, that word means mercy. Kindness means goodness. Humility, gentleness, that word means meek and forbearing with one another. Patience. I love this word for patience. You ready for this? It means bearing up under provocation. It means honoring God when something's irritating you. It means conveying the character of God when you're exhausted, when things are difficult, when the trial doesn't let up. That's patience, right? Bearing up under provocation, enduring one another, bearing with one another. Notice how many of these, they're character issues, but you notice how many of these relate to how you get along with other people? You say, how do you know if I'm setting my mind on things above, right? How do I know that? Look at your relationships. In so far as they depend on you, look at your relationships. Am I showing compassion? Am I showing kindness? Am I showing goodness? Am I showing mercy? Am I bearing with one another? Am I enduring difficult relationships? Um, you know, God gives us these wonderful graces, these windows into our soul. Emotions. Emotions show the real you like nothing else. You know, the second most important one? Your relationships. They show the real you. They show the character of Christ. And so he says, draw near, right? Forgive one another. Bear with one another. Forgiving each other. And above all these things, put on love. Notice this. Which is the perfect bond of unity. Meaning, loving one another is the prime way that we establish unity in our families, in our marriages, in the body of Christ. He says this in verse uh, where are we? Verse uh, 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And by the way, that's not peace like I have a peace about this decision. This is peace like interpersonal peace. The peace of Christ is peace that allows you to get along with one another. I know what you're saying. You're thinking, Keith, you don't know the people in my life. You don't know my family. You don't know the guys at work. The peace of Christ is able to pursue harmony insofar as it depends on you with anybody. Does that mean they're going to be nice to you? No. Does that mean it's going to be easy? No. But it means Christ gives us the ability to be peaceable with one another. Ask yourself this question. Am I known as a peacemaker? Am I known as somebody that walks into the room and can bring harmony? That's that's the character of Christ. That's what we're putting on. That, that's the things above that we're striving for. 
the character of Christ, the peace of Christ. Notice this. He just, he just slaps this right in the middle. Be thankful. Be, it's a standalone command there. He says, being thankful is a way that we exemplify the character of Christ. A grumbling Christian is a horrible Christian. Because we of all people ought to be grateful and thankful and honoring God in all that we do and, and looking with thankfulness to the Lord. Notice this. You guys know this verse. Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. That, that's another good test point, isn't it? Where's your mind dwelling? That, that's a, I, One of my professors used to say, when you spin the compass of your life, where does it stop and aim at? Some of you have never seen a compass like that. Take your iPhone, pull out the compass, spin it around. It does the same thing. Right? Where's the point, right? Where are you setting your mind? Where are you dwelling? See, we don't set our minds on the things above by gazing at the sky. We set our minds above by immersing ourselves in the Word of God. And yes, this is the part of the message where I remind you to be in the Word. Be in your Bibles. Memorize, meditate, read, talk, sing. We, we, we don't grow into Christ likeness by filling our minds with the world. And, and I was thinking about this. Um, you know, the kids are, the kids are in town from college. And, uh, you know, it's just not the holidays without a 17 pound brisket. You know, I mean, nothing says happy holidays like a 17 pound brisket. There was a good sale in town. So we threw that thing on the smoker about 9 p.m. at night. It wasn't done until about 4 or 4.30 the next afternoon. Low and slow is how you do a brisket, right? Am I right, pitmasters? Am I right? I'm, I'm a rookie, but I'm learning. Okay. That is how you do the Word of God. That's what the Word means. Low and slow. You dwell on it. You don't sear your brisket. You don't flambe your... How you said it? Flambe? The brisket where you just like fire, you know, and it's an asteroid in like 30 seconds, right? You don't do that or you ruin the brisket, right? And you know what? That's exactly how we read our Bibles. We go, oh, okay, did my chapter, boom, I'm gone. And you ruin that time, don't you? It's with the Bible, guys, it's low and slow. It's meditating. It's immersing. It's marinating. It's you're set it at 225 and you let it, you let it smoke for 17 hours. That's how you dwell on the things of God. And that's what moves our affections and our gaze and our thoughts and our practices and our priorities on the things above. There, there's, there's no shortage or there's no shortcut to just time in the word. And, and, and can I give you a, a pastoral footnote to this? When you pick your Bible reading plan this morning as, as, as you leave, don't be like, I'm going to do 37 chapters every day. Because you've never done it before. And, okay. I mean, if you're retired and you've got like no, nothing on your calendar, go for it. Knock yourself out. Okay. But if you're like most people's schedules, don't pick a plan that's just going to, you know, I got to read and read and read and reread and oh, I barely got it in. Pick a plan that you can read that gives you time to think and meditate and memorize and pray about it and, and apply it. And, and you're just, you're sitting there at 225. You're just letting it smoke. You're just taking it in. The things of God. Sing. 
and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Give thanks through him to God the Father. And whatever you do, look at this, you know it. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to him, to God the Father. How do you avoid being distracted from Christ in the new year? You actively make him the center of everything you do. That's how you do it. That's what this is saying. Whatever you do, right? Word or deed, whatever you do. Are, are you changing diapers, moms? Are you homeschooling? Are you doing your bills? Are you going to the office? Are you playing golf? Are you working on the, in the shop? Are you doing your favorite hobby? Are you working with a, with a team member in your work? Are you visiting your grandkids? Whatever you do, bring Christ in. Make Him the center of what you do and do it for Him. And if He's right there, if if you're inviting Him to each moment, if if you're making Him a part of everything you do, guess what? It's going to be really, really hard to keep your eyes on the things of the world, isn't it? Because your eyes are on Him, where Christ is, where your life is, where your identity is, the things of God. You actively make him the center of everything you do. And notice, look at the text. You bear his name. You and I bear the name of Christ. Your life is in him. And so we do all things in his name and for his glory, giving thanks. Father, we uh, are thankful for the opportunity to go into the new year. And I pray that our hearts would be set on the things above, not on the things that trip us up, that are ungodly. Father, I pray, would you make Christ the center of what we do and might his words, his values, his actions, his priorities, his character be at work in us that we might live for things that will matter eternally. Father, might we take these commands seriously to be your body, And to put on the love of Christ, the peace of Christ, the life of Christ in all that we do. Because we know a dying world exists outside these walls. And they need to see Jesus not in our words. They need to see Jesus in our actions as well. Father, we love you. Uh, Help us to set our minds on things above. To focus on them. To seek them. And to live in a way that pleases our Savior. We thank you and we pray in his name. Amen.